This episode of Fuel for the Soul is powered by ASICS. Head over to ASICS.com and sign up for a one ASICS account. It's completely free, and when you sign up, you'll receive 10% off your first purchase. You'll also gain access to exclusive colorways on ASICS.com, free standard shipping, special birthday month discounts, and more. Hi, this is Thomas with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Featherstone Nutrition. AKA Feathers. And you're listening to Fuel for the Soul, the podcast where we talk all things hydration and nutrition and how it affects performance. Not for regular people, but for athletes. Yep, with a big focus on running because that's what we all love to do. Yeah. Even though our Feathers is going to be strapping on a uh, tri suit and a wetsuit. Learning how to pee standing up while she's waiting in that line and then get on a bike and ride and then run and then uh, finish up and be, what are you going to be, a 70.3-er? Um, I don't know, but let's just say that I am strapping on Meg's tri-suit. <laughs> Hopefully it brings me some good luck because it's the one she wore. <laughs> yes. Which is strange because the difference in height between the two of you <laughs> is like almost two Megs. It's a stretchy I was actually- uh, tri-suit. I was actually just talking about that yesterday. I'm sure I've got like six inches on you, but yet it somehow still stretches. I mean, it's a little tight, but I ran in it for the first time yesterday and it felt pretty great. I'm not going to lie. Right. It just felt like you had nothing on. Like it was was all right. You can kind of zip it down a little bit when you're running so the air hits your chest so that you're not all. Absolutely. um, But, you know. You know, they have rules about that, though. Like you can't can't show too much chest. No, you can't. You have to keep it. Yeah, well, they have rules about that everywhere, Meg. No, like guys can't run without shirts on. Like at right. races, you can run without you can shirts un- on. Yeah, but you can unzip it to your navel. You just have to keep the sleeves on. All right, let's get back to it. So today we are talking about blood glucose and running and what types of gels. And so we're going to answer a couple listener questions. Yeah, we're also going to talk about how I weigh myself every day now. And it goes all over the place. So we'll talk Ooh, about that. Summertime weighing is really juicy. Mm-hmm. Okay, but our first question comes from Brooke. Let's take a listen. Hi, my name is Brooke, and I'm wondering if you could give any suggestions to me. I'm a new runner. I'm a run-walk um, person, and I've been training for around eight months. But I also have exercise-induced hypoglycemia. So I need to fuel with a balanced meal before my runs with protein and carbs. But as I get running, as I'm running longer, especially in the heat, if my blood sugar drops, I get shaky and weak and I have to stop. So if you could give me any suggestions for fueling during particularly warm, long, slow runs, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, so first things first, what is exercise-induced hypoglycemia? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably where we should start, huh? <laughs> yeah. So what is that? That so it's called reactive hypoglycemia, rebound hypoglycemia, exercise induced hypoglycemia. You'll hear it called lots of things. But basically what it means is like when you start running, your blood sugar tanks. Like it goes below 
70 milligrams per deciliter, which is where we want it above, right? So for some people, they have, they experience the symptoms of low blood sugar shortly after they start running, which could be dizziness, weakness, a little bit of confusion, like sudden onset sweating, not like from the heat, but just like sweating way too early, Um, anxiety, headache, uh, shakiness, I forget if I said that. So very unpleasant symptoms to be trying to run through. How do you get this? Is this genetic? Is this something that can just happen? How does that work? So when you look it up, I've had a handful of clients who've had this. And honestly, it's not crazy prevalent. Like when you look at the literature, it happens in about 15% of athletes. Um, But like we said, it can tank your performance terribly. But um, there's a lot of different reasons that this can happen. So you really want to look into why. So for some people, it is genetic. Um, Our body will shoot out extra insulin when we start running and insulin is the storage hormone. So it's going to grab all that blood sugar and it's going to tank our blood sugar, right? So some of it could just be how your body is responding just from an insulin standpoint. So we see some people are just more prone to dropping their blood sugar and feeling those effects. So that could be a piece of it. But then also, you know, we're really starting to look at people's blood sugar trends when it comes to performance, which we can dive into more. So I think this is really interesting and probably people are paying more attention to what they're feeling and maybe what their blood sugar is doing when they're running to try to improve performance. Um, So we also know that like if we go into runs like glycogen depleted, right? So we talk all the time about carb loading and making sure we have enough carbs in our muscles and that's part of the what fuels us while we're running. So what we know is if we have those carb stores in our muscles, that glycogen, our muscles actually break that down and use it as fuel and leave our blood sugar alone a little bit. So if we don't have those carbs to use as energy by our muscles, we're going to pull more sugar from our blood, which could drop it too. So sometimes I see people that they're just not eating enough and they're just too depleted from a nutrition standpoint. So when they do go into these runs, they just become hypoglycemic because their body just doesn't have the reserves. They haven't eaten enough beforehand. So sometimes it's totally nutritionally related that we can completely nip this in the butt through, you know, some different interventions. So that makes total sense. And I think that seems like an easy fix. Like you just incorporate more carbs before your runs or even like during your daily nutrition. But for someone who suffers from this, exercise-induced hyperglycemia is like, what can they do? Is it the same thing? Yeah. So one of the biggest things, just like when we talk about we want quick fuel when we're running, right? We want that gel that our body can grab that carbohydrate really quickly. For somebody that experiences this, if we take something before we exercise that shoots our blood sugar up really quickly, it's just going to make this whole thing worse, right? Because this person, for whatever reason, their body is spitting out too much insulin. So the more simple carbs we put in, the more insulin it's going to spit out. So it could actually be a bad idea to put a bunch of just straight carbs in our body right before a run if somebody has this. So a lot of times we want to actually delay the absorption of those carbs, which is kind of backwards as to what we've talked about, you know, on this podcast before. So we want to put a little bit of fat or a little bit of protein with those carbohydrates so that they're not quite as um, fast absorbed after we eat this so that we don't have that spike in blood sugar, which will spike our insulin, which will make it all drop, right? So it's like kind of trying to play with that nutrition so we don't absorb it so quickly. All right, but Brooke's also talking about how to fuel for the long haul. So it's not Mm -hmm. what to do in the prep so much. It's what to do once she's out there. Am I wrong? Does this not sound like what Generation You Can is trying to to accomplish? Like It it sounds like she would be a perfect candidate for one of these long-burning carb fuels like that. 
I, you know, it would be a good idea to have that as like an insurance policy underneath it, right? Like if we have her take some of that, the, so for people who aren't familiar, this generation you can is like a super starch, right? So it's very slowly absorbed and it, it doesn't peak our blood sugar like we were just talking about. So if you take that like 45 minutes before with something else to eat, I would recommend, you know, you would try, hopefully have a more stable blood sugar response. Um, from that perspective. But I thought it was interesting that she said she feels this more on hot runs, which kind of leads me to think that maybe her glycogen stores are too low because as we talked about, I don't remember last episode, two episodes ago, when it's hot outside, we're going to overutilize our glycogen stores. So we're going to burn through those quicker. So if she's experiencing this more mid-run on a hot day, I would try to get some more carbs in her daily diet to see if we pick those up. Plus then, a lot of people who are prone to dropping their blood sugar when they're running have to fuel more frequently. Because a lot of times that the drop in blood sugar is right at the beginning, but then if we can fuel, we can keep it up, right? So a lot of times people are going to have to fuel sooner and more often to maintain that blood sugar. So you can almost look at it two different ways, right? Like making sure there's enough carbs in the daily diet, but then also altering how we fuel. Like maybe we don't wait till 30 minutes in. Maybe we take something 10 minutes in and keep up with it a little more frequently. And would she be taking the uh, normal, you know, Martin's, Goose, whatever uh, that you would recommend? Yeah, you absolutely can. I ha- I did have one person that we had a really hard time figuring this out with, and she started taking um, the Honey Stinger or Scratch Chews so she could break them up into smaller doses more frequently, and that, like, she nailed it with that. So I think we play with it, right? You know, there's no, like, right or wrong way to do this. It's just going to what works the best for that person. And without wearing a um, like a CGM like we did, the glucose monitor that's constantly mm-hmm. like throwing out a number for you to look at, yeah. is there a way to like get a better understanding of your of your glucose levels? So you know, I there's, we had a podcast on that too, right? <laughs> Tracking blood sugar all day long, every day for two weeks. Um, that is something that like a lot of people have been interested in now, but. And if you truly have this reactive hypoglycemia, you may be able to get it approved through your doctor. Um, but I don't think we necessarily need to do that. I mean, people whose blood sugar is dropping, it's a, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it, it's a very unique symptom. Like, you know that that's what's going on. You're weak, you're dizzy. Sometimes you just start sweating out of nowhere. You feel awful, right? So most people can identify that feeling. Um and just make changes and notice, right? How does that impact their daily living and performance? So we know increasing like overall carbs throughout the day to make sure her stores are there. And then the sort of breaking it up into little bits during the run and maybe like more frequently. Experimenting. Yeah. Is there anything mm-hmm. else um, you'd recommend for Brooke? Um, I think that's probably it. But I think, you know, what this brings to light too is – talking through how important maintaining blood sugar is to running performance. And I think this is only becoming more of a hot topic. I think we're just going to start seeing this more and more and more. Um, Because what we're finding is when our blood sugar is a little bit higher when we're running, our performance is significantly better. So I was kind of looking up just some different stuff on this um, this weekend. And There was actually a study that they did in 1924 at the Boston Marathon, and they took 11 guys and they took their blood sugar before the race and after the race, which blew my mind that we've been thinking about this since 1924, right? Like women weren't even allowed to run then. Um, (laughs) And what they found was 
I mean, these guys' blood sugars were like down in the 40s and and maybe like low 50s when they were finishing. I think it was like seven of them were and it talked about how they looked or how they felt, and it was like describing their appearance. At the, I mean, these guys were like on their deathbed at the end. Like it was hilarious, pale, listless. Like it was funny the words they were using. Anyways, and then the other people that didn't have blood sugar that was too low at the end of the marathon stopped to eat something, which wasn't a thing back then, right? Like people didn't take gels in the early 1900s when they were running. So these guys knew well enough to stop, eat something on the side of the road, and then keep running. And those were the people who did better. So we've clearly been thinking about this like blood sugar performance issue for a really long time. Um, But what we're finding is we might even need to keep a higher blood sugar than we realize. Um, in order to really keep up with performance, um, which is why we always tell people to fuel frequently and often. I would love to know what those dudes stopped and ate in the Boston Marathon in 1924. Like, would love to know. I mean, that was back when they were like, it was like frowned upon to drink water on the course, wasn't it? Right. Like, they were... Right. It like wasn't cool to fuel. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't say what they fueled with. I just pulled it back up. It just said they stopped to fuel during, which is a bummer because I would love to know as well <laughs> what these guys were eating, like a hunk of bread. Or a sure. ham sandwich yeah. wrapped in wax paper. It was probably like legit a meal. Like I'm sure it yeah. wasn't like gummies and things like that that we eat now. Knowing that in order to run faster and longer, we need to avoid these glucose drops. What should we be doing? Fueling a lot more than any of us are. <laughs> truthfully when we really look so I mean as you guys know you've seen the little black patch on the back of Kipchoge's arm we saw it in the recent um Ironman competition right like it was on every the back of everybody's arm so we're really playing with how much fuel can our body use how much can we absorb how much do we need to take how does that impact performance and fatigue because we just know that maintaining an adequate blood sugar um decreases mental fogginess right it keeps us more like acutely aware and then also it helps with overall performance just unbelievably you know when we start to feel tired like now people are asking like are you really struggling with fitness or are you really just tired or is this all just that your blood sugar is too low right like is this all just that we're not fueling enough so it's kind of the symptoms are a little muddy, right? Like what is actually causing this? But there's a whole, you know, stream of thought out there that a lot of this fatigue with endurance athletes is all going back to blood sugar that's too low and not taking in enough carbs. So we've always said, or I think you've typically said 50 grams of carbs an hour for the average human being. Are we thinking that this is not enough anymore? We are. Which is wild. I know. And I haven't gotten many more. I mean, I think I was at like 55 grams an hour at Boston. I wasn't much higher, you know. But um, I'm going to play around with this in the Ironman and try to get closer to like 90 or 100 grams an hour on the bike and see if this works. So I'll be my own little guinea pig and report back. (laughs) Well, see, that seems easier to do, like nutrition on the bike. Like when you're running a hard effort, like the marathon distance specifically, it, it seems like it's hard to get that much in. Right, well, right. It's also a carrying thing. On the bike, you can have right. bottles with fuel in it. You get mm-hmm. off. And I, when I did the uh, 70.3, I had waffles in the back pockets of my uh, tri suit. I had two bottles full of, um, you know, nutrition on the bike because I knew that this was the time. You can't do it while you're swimming. And they're going to have Martins on the side of the course. Or is it, what did we find out? It's called Morton's. Yeah. yeah, Mortons. They're gonna have Mortons on the side. I hate that name. Um, Mortons on the side of the uh, 
of the course. So you don't have to worry about that. So really the main fueling that you want to do is on that 50 mile bike ride and really pack in as much as you can. I'm no sports nutritionist and I know that. <laughs> right. Good job. Stop. He's been listening. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, to answer your question of like, how do we get this in? A lot of companies are making these more concentrated drink mixes. And yeah, to your point, Thomas, then you have to carry it, you know. But I think that's one way that we're able to get a lot more in is like the um, Morton 320, the Scratch Superfuel. The thing that I'm loving about that Scratch Superfuel is it literally tastes like water with like some lime essence in it. It's not sweet at all, like at all. And it has 100 grams of carbs in a bottle. Like it's insane. So... I think it's just finding how many what's ounces is work. that. I'm putting it in a 30 ounce bottle, but I think it Whoa. tells you to. Yeah, it's it's much less. It's much less. I just no, need the fluid. Yeah, but I'm saying if if you're running and you do want to run with a bottle, yeah. a 30 ounce bottle would be it's too big. Yeah, <laughs> that's like running no, with I- a big gulp. <laughs> yeah. So this says 16 ounces for the super fuel. So yeah, you could easily okay. get that in a bottle. All right. I think bottle. I'll try that. I'll try that on our next. My next, yes. uh, my run. And we we talked about this a little bit on a previous episode, but in order to even attempt to take in this much during the run, you have to basically train your gut to handle it, right? Mm-hmm. You have to practice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And even with practice, you know when you're running a marathon, that last Martin is like really hard to get down. Well, so that was going to be my other question is because it is so hard, especially in the later miles, should we be like eating more before we start the run or trying to pack it in like in those first few miles? Or do you recommend it really should be like even throughout? I'm very much team front load your nutrition a little bit. And of course, we want to practice this because I did have a client front load one time and it went disastrously. Um, it was more of like a <laughs> front nervous load, front load. fire. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. Um, but to your point, like what we're finding is as our intensity increases as, you know, it's warmer out there. Like we don't absorb and tolerate fuel as well, but we will at the beginning of a race, right? So absolutely. Like, you know, if we're running a three-hour marathon, if we try to get the most of our nutrition in the first 90 minutes, I think that's huge, right? Because then it's sparing the glycogen so that if we can't get enough in at some point, we've still got those glycogen stores that we can utilize. And we wouldn't have exhausted those in the beginning because we took so much carbs and just used that for fuel. Um, you you wrote down that Kipchoge might be taking in 100 carbs an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I used to say ninety, but I found somewhere else that they said it was it was at least a hundred, if not a little more per hour, which is wild. But the average person probably doesn't need that, or do you think we can also benefit? So that's my that's a really good question. So this gets my wheels turning. So most of the time, the research is showing like if we're out there for three and a half, four hours or more, we need to be fueling more towards the hundred grams per hour because we're out there so long, right? But then you see somebody who's running a marathon in less than two hours that's also doing it. And if you think about it, it's because his intensity is so high. So I think it's a combination of both. Like it probably depends on someone's intensity out there and then also um, the duration that we're going to be out there. So for some people, depending on their fitness level, right? Like it could be different times that we would want to take more. So again, as I always say, very personalized as kind of my thought there. Yeah. Cause then I also think back to like, and I know we've sort of debunked that like weight really is a factor in here, but like someone who's 200 pounds versus someone who's a hundred pounds, I would assume that the 200 pound person just needs more fuel. 
100%. Yes. I see some of the larger guys that I work with, especially like newbie runners that aren't quite as efficient or as experienced. They need a lot of fuel to feel good through some of these longer runs. So yeah, I totally agree. Okay. So on the topic of gels, our next question is all about gels. So let's take a listen from Paul. Hi, um, I had a question regarding uh, gels for marathon training. Um, and my first question is, um, some of them have uh, different amino acids added to them. And I'm, I'm thinking of like the guroctane, they have uh, leucine, taurine, beta alanine, and so on. And are th- is there any ben- like performance benefit to having those amino acids added to a gel? That's my first question. And then my second is um, I was also experimenting with like maple syrup gels and they're basically just plain maple syrup. Sometimes they add a little something for flavor and a small amount of sodium. And is there enough carbohydrate and the right type of carbohydrate, I guess, uh, to sufficiently fuel a run in just the maple syrup? Uh, All right, you know what I love about this question? What? Is the maple syrup ones, those uh, untapped that I think he's referring to? I love the way those taste. So if those can work, I might, I've been talking to Megan because Morton's all the time, I think it's just like too much for me, like for training. I want to find it's some It's also alternatives. like just throwing dollars. Yeah, I want to find, well, the, the untapped stuff is not cheap. Oh. But um, I, I'd love to just be able to get some stuff that, varies up the the experience so that i'm not always eating jelly um you know that i can have like i like the humus stuff with the chia seeds i like the uh, the untapped stuff would be good so um i'm interested to see what our friend feathers has to say about this the thoughts here so so many things to say here but i think the first thing to say is when we were talking about trying to get more carbohydrates in so we used to only think you could get 60 grams of carbs per hour because we can only absorb about 60 grams of sucrose but if we have some fructose and some maltodextrin if we have some different types of carbs we can increase how much we're able to absorb so kind of skipping to the maple syrup since thomas brought it up my thought with that was i was like hmm what type of sugars in maple syrup? I didn't know off the top of my head. I had to look it up, right? So it looks like we have standard identities for food. Like you can only call ice cream ice cream if it has a certain amount of whole milk in it, your cream in it or whatever, right? So I, apparently there's a standard of identity for maple syrup too. So it has to have at least 66% sucrose. But we don't necessarily know exactly how much sucrose is in there, right? So I guess it could be possible that if you were trying to get up to like 75 grams of carbs an hour, taking three untapped might not work but like two two an hour would absolutely work right when we're looking at the distribution of type of carbs in there and that's why we always say things like goos or you know some of these manufactured like the mortons they have that combination of all three types of carbohydrates so it just is like setting us up for success that our body can absorb it right so that's kind of where my mind goes to first with the maple syrup is like yes it's a great option but if we're really trying to scale up higher maybe we want to add something else in that's a different type of carbohydrate. Um, 
or maybe they have published their type of carbohydrates in there and I just couldn't find it, which is also possible. Um, but to Thomas's point, you could absolutely pepper those into your fueling. I think two of these an hour would be perfectly fine. The maple syrup, they add some salt to it. Sucrose is pretty easily absorbed. Um, so I don't see an issue with it at all. All right. Give me your top three non-Morton uh, gels. Gels. I would say Huma is the like real food gel that I recommend. You know, it's like made from like fruit and things like that. So Huma definitely, if we can get past the flavors of goos, which I know we talked about last time, goo gels like from a nutritional composition have the, a great, you know, sucrose, fructose, and maltodextrin. All right. So goo is good. What else you got? Okay, it was good. I've had some people using power power bar gels. They've got like a hydrogel now that adds some water to it. It's not the same as a Morton. It's just that they add a little bit of water to it. But I've had some people that are really liking those. So that would be another recommendation. Doesn't have that thick gel. It's right. kind it's of thinner. like But it also means the packet's bigger, right? So you're like carrying a slightly bigger packet. And then honey stingers, like you said. So the un one of the things that Untapped is pushing is that it's the low glycemic which isn't that mean that it doesn't spike, like, your, spike your blood sugar. So would that be a good option for someone? Like Brooke? Like Brooke. I mean, it could. I guess I have a hard time believing that like taking a shot of maple syrup isn't going to jack up our <laughs> blood sugar. I get, I get the glycemic index, right? It doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't because when I wore that patch, you know that I have like an oatmeal bake in the morning and I put maple syrup on it and I was like waiting for my blood sugar to just go whoop and it never did. And it didn't? I don't know. I don't know. But the other thing I'm always curious about with the untap is like, can I just make my own? Like, is it just maple yes. syrup? Like if I buy good quality and maple syrup, is it the same thing? And throw in some sea salt and I'm good to go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had mm. people do that. Might have to yeah. do that. Yeah, but what a mess. No, you remember that little bottle you had that had like... Um... Plus, like, how much are you getting? I know you guys aren't shocked that my mind goes there, right? Controlling amounts and timing and <laughs> knowing how much I've taken each time. Like, what if you swig it yeah. all back and then your stomach hurts or I don't know. Um, okay, so another question, because you're saying we basically need all these different types of carbs in order to maximize how much we can take. So if you're doing an untapped and then a Morton... And then an untapped, does that work? Or is that still not going to? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I want to try this power. Is it power bar? Pro, Yeah, yeah. Power bar pro gel, I think it's called. Yeah, they have a couple now. but I think I want to try that and maybe try uh, mixing some goos together and not doing Morton's, like just doing like I'm talking about for my speed work or my long mm -hmm. runs. And, and I know Morton's work for me on the race day. And I can just kick them back in maybe as I get closer to the marathon, you know, add add mm -hmm. them back into the long run. I personally think it's good to mix them up. Like if you if people want to mix them up in the off season and try different types and save a little cash. Um, but then also know that different things work for you in case you're at a bind. You know, this works or, you know, this doesn't. OK, so back to Paul's other question. He brought up the goo roctane and how it has amino acids, which I I've never taken goo roctane and I didn't know that this was a thing, but you have taken it. You just don't remember like that. I used to always have that in the house. Oh, you've, you've had it. Apparently I've had it. Um, but what does having amino acids in your gels do, if anything? Yeah. Goo roctane was one of my first fuels when I actually realized I had to start fueling because it's higher in sodium. So like if I tell somebody to go get goo roctane, it's because it has more sodium than the regular goos. But as, 
Paul so astutely mentioned, there's also amino acids in it, which honestly I kind of look past because most of the research shows like we're not going to do anything with amino acids unless we're running for like over four hours, right? And really it's because, as we know, carbs and fat are their preferential fuel sources for us when we're running. But once we get into more of those ultra endurance events, we will start using a few amino acids like the branch chain amino acids. We can actually use that as energy. But when you look at the science of actually fueling these like ultra endurance, it's like 4%. Don't quote me on that, but it's close. Like 4% of the energy that we're creating and using is coming from protein. So it's a very, very small amount. So like, I personally don't think the amino acids in a a goo roctane is like a selling point. It's not going to harm you. It's not going to hurt you, but I don't think it's like necessarily needed. I'm going to like rewind you a little bit, but why would we normally have amino acids in stuff? Like why do people buy that as a supplement? It's for muscle development, right? Yeah, the branch chain amino acids, yeah, it's for like that recovery piece, right? It's to give you the building blocks to recover the muscles that have been damaged or you want to grow post-exercise. So there's no, is there actually, is there a downside to having amino acids in your gels or is it just an added thing that's not going to really do anything? So I don't think there's a downside to it, truthfully. I just don't think it's necessarily like an advantage or a selling point. So I just looked up on their website and they say it may reduce mental fatigue and help decrease muscle damage during exercise. So the mental fatigue part, eh, that's a little bit of a stretch, especially for the marathon distance, but um, decrease muscle damage during exercise, that's where the ultra stuff would come in. Like if you're getting a little bit of protein during, it might help with that or offset it. Um, But yeah. So it's fine if you like that as your nutrition choice, but it's not going to do anything extra over, let's say, a Morton or another gel that does not have amino acids. Correct. All right, Megan, give us your key takeaways. Everything we need to know. So first and foremost, low blood sugar while training is a thing for some runners, right? Notice your symptoms, play with your daily nutrition, what you're eating before your run, what you're doing during. Um, But you will need to figure out your different fueling needs. You may fuel different than your runner friends, right? And that's okay. Just pay attention to that. Practice it. Figure out what works. And then also engineered sports fuel is cool, right? So like we were saying, if it's engineered to have the right, you know, combination of carbohydrates, um, it works. And then it's a no-brainer to scale it up to make sure you get enough. Um, like we were saying, something like the maple syrup, maybe we would take two an hour and add like a maltodextrin drink with it so that we're getting more. Um, and then lastly, at the end of the day, we need to take in enough total carbohydrates to fuel our best performance. Daily life, during, this is not a new message. You know, it's just more reinforcement for just making sure we're getting enough. All right. What's something you can try this week? You can. Grab the fuel you want to use. Take a look at how many grams of carbs are in it. Figure out how much you're taking in, right? So we threw around a lot of numbers today that like maybe 50 grams an hour is not enough. Maybe we need more. Take a look. See where you're at now. Because like we were saying, we wouldn't want to like jump to 100 grams an hour. And we even said maybe not everybody needs that. So really playing around to figure out like how much are you getting? And now would be the time to start scaling it up if we want to take in a little bit more by like a fall race day. Perfect. Um, So, you know, iron seems to be a thing that women are constantly having to battle with as they run for performance. You've typically said that, what is it, 40? 
Yeah, when when we've talked about iron, um, I know it's for me specifically too, you've said it'd be great to have it over, to have your ferritin levels over forty, and that's been a challenge for me. But I was listening to another sports nutritionist, and she was saying your ferritin should be sixty to eighty, which I don't know if I'll ever see that number. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. So. I mean, would higher be helpful for some people? Probably, right? Um, I would love to see where that research is coming from. Or maybe it's just her personal. Maybe she's found that people she works with, they perform even better when they're up in that range. Um, And two, the caliber of athlete, right? Like if we're talking like elite athletes or collegiate, you know, athletes, it probably would be better to have it even higher. But from the research just looking at like where's the correlation between ferritin number and performance a lot of the research draws it at at 40 right so that's where that's coming from but um a little bit higher might be very beneficial for some people and i have had people that are usually in the 60s that drop to 40 and they feel it they feel awful so we try to get them back in the 60s you know so i think sometimes it does depend on what that person's normal is or where they were performing their best and maybe 40 isn't is this something people can experiment with like take more of the supplement or and just see if they can, where they feel best. Yeah, I think it would. The one thing that I always caution, though, is it is possible to get too much iron. So if somebody's ferritin comes up real quick, if their body absorbs it really well, I have had a handful of people recently who've had the symptoms that they thought were low iron, and actually they were over-supplementing. You know, so that is a thing. What is? What are those symptoms? It's the same thing, like fatigue, heavy legs, poor recovery, high heart rate, exact same stuff. Um, so it is just something to be cognizant of that we don't want to just throw a ton of iron at something without checking, you know, where those levels are going. I'm going to throw in the weight thing. So, you know, we've talked about in the past and I, you know, I did the food tracking, but I didn't do necessarily the weigh-ins every day. So Meg was like yelling at me, you got to do a weigh-in every day. So I started doing that and I think I have about, I don't know, a week and a half of weight watching where I get on the scale every morning right out of bed. It's not after I sweat or anything like that. Um, you know, it's it's the real, I guess, what you call wake up weight. And it fluctuates so much. Like I've I've gone like it can fluctuate four pounds in like a couple like couple days. And I was like on this trajectory where I was like going down, 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 like little increments. And then all of a sudden it jumped up four pounds. And then it's gone down, down, down again. But like, what is this? So I think it's probably three things. One, you're probably taking in more sodium when it jumps up. Like maybe you drank the hyperhydration or you were like really hitting, I don't know, a salty meal the night before. So I think part of it is like sodium and fluid, right? You could have an extra pound or two of fluid on you. Or if you're seeing it going down, 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 down right now, are you getting really dehydrated? So it's a slight false down, right? So then it jumps up when we rehydrate with that sodium. So like those two things. And then three, if you're going immediate, if you're jumping out of bed and hopping on the scale, the contents of our GI tract could weigh a pound or two, right? So two pounds of fluid, two pounds of GI contents, you know what I mean? And there's your four pounds and it has nothing to do with body fat. Right. But I mean, seeing those jumps is very normal. How do you find out how much you weigh then? (laughs) (laughs) If it doesn't drive you bonkers, you can take a trend over a month and watch. Yes, you're going to have those like outliers that hop up. Right. But 
you would be able to see over a month's time that it's trending down, right? Even if it's bouncing a little bit, that the bouncing line is going downward. When I start and then I'm like, okay, I'm running. My running, it seems to be taking longer to acclimate. I, I feel a little more lethargic. And I'm like, is this the weight that I'm, I'm is that what I'm feeling? Like, it, could it be? I get that question a lot, especially this time of year, because I think it's really hard to, A, get an accurate weight in the heat, like we were just saying, and then B, to differentiate what of this is just that I need to slow down because it's hot and my body can't cool itself, and what of this is my actual fitness, or to your point, do I weigh a little bit more? Like, there's just so many variables, and it's really hard to chisel them out, truthfully. So my insanity is justified then. I mean, you're, what you're telling me, I hear all the time. So yes, your your thought process here and insanity is justified. And that's where I just say, like, is it a curiosity that you want to see what your weight's doing every day? If so, I think it's fine. Is it driving you bonkers and preoccupying your thought? Then we probably don't need to be doing Not it. Not as much as I thought. It, I thought it was going to drive me crazy. I've always avoided this situation because I thought it uh-huh. would drive me crazy. Actually, it's I just find it interesting. My, the day that I probably weighed in the heaviest, I did take that super hydration the night before. Yeah, that's the point of it, right? To hang on to like two to three extra pounds. So that's absolutely what that was. But I bet your run felt really good that day. Or a day where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm five pounds less and your run feels awful. You can be like, well, I was actually dehydrated. Yeah. You know, so these are things that you can put together. I mean, truthfully, you know, to this point, I bought like a $26 Bluetooth scale for dirt cheap to do exactly what we're talking about. Weigh in every single day for... A month and then I showed the girls in the um, Boston Marathon group like took out the numbers so nobody could see like what the actual weight was but show like it's normal to have a six pound fluctuation throughout the month from changing hormones from dehydration from hyperhydration like from post you know hard long run our weight goes up so it's very very normal to see those huge changes it's just making sense of them or whether we want to see them I'm gonna send you know our sponsors inside tracker and I was talking to um, Feathers while we had while we had to pause while you're letting Ralphie do his thing, um, and my inside tracker numbers were will come this week. This week, I have uh, indentured Feathers that she has to look at them and give me feedback. So she it's part of our contract. Um, so she's going to give me some feedback on that. I'm kind of wondering. I've been in a funk. So if there's nothing wrong with me then I need to go see a psychologist or something. Well, it's it's funny because I went to Inside Tracker a few weeks ago and my, it came back that my iron was low. And I told Megan, I was like, it was almost a relief because it was like, oh, there's something off. Like, this is fixable versus mm-hmm. everything looking perfect and being like, well, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, but no, you guys have good history, right? So like, what's it been, like 16 months I've been looking at this every three to four months so Uh it's really good to see and notice like for you meg like no this was a huge change in your ferritin this is where it was when we first started working together you know like it's it's really good to kind of see all that so we'll take a look thomas uh that is it for this week thank you all for listening as always if you have a question that we have not answered you can send us an audio message. You can just go to anchor.fm, search for Fuel for the Soul, and hit that message button. Or you can email us at fuelforthesoulpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, All right. All right. So peace and carrots. I'm out. Bye. Bye.
Yeah, blood sugar sex magic. I Rotisserie like chicken, <laughs> potatoes. Hey, what were we watching where we saw peas and carrots? Uh, or was that a dream that I had? No, it was, uh, oh, Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. I, I must have gotten peas and carrots from Forrest Gump. What was that from? What was Jenny, that? peas so, and carrots. Jenny and... Oh, Jenny. yeah, the peas and carrots. I didn't know that. I didn't either. I wonder if any, any listeners out there know this. We <laughs> no, we were ripping them off. We were watching Forrest Gump and uh, like peas we go, and carrots. Yeah. We go together like peas and carrots. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> In my subconscious, I is. carry Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> I was running. <laughs> Life is like a box of chocolate. It's cool, cool to fuel should be your new t-shirt.